The record button has been pressed. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I want to welcome you to, I'd say, the first official Faith in the Outdoors podcast with Sean McVeigh of Sean's Outdoor Adventures. And um, today I have a very special guest, Tom Hutchins. And I want to introduce him more in just a few minutes. But first, I just want to give you a table of contents of today, what you can expect, what we're going to be looking at. So I have a theme that I wanted us to kind of bring out in this episode. And I've talked to a lot of people who say, you know, I don't, I don't need to go to church. I can just go out and sit in nature and pray to God and and things like that. And that is good to go out and pray. But I do believe that God calls us to be part of a church and it's, it's not for just like our own sake. It's for the people's sake. Imagine it's Thanksgiving and you invite all of your family home for Thanksgiving and only three of your family members show up. And there's like, let's just say nine empty seats at the table. Picture that those nine empty seats, my friends. Does it mean something to the three people who are there? It does mean something to them. So the family's not all there, and it, it hurts a little bit, and that's part of God calls us to community, and I think this is a component that we've actually lost a little bit of sight of in our current culture. God calls us to community, and in a special way, a church community. So that's kind of our theme in this, and if you haven't already turned the episode off, I want to thank you. There might be some people who already hit stop or they turned off because they don't want to hear that, and That's okay. It's still our job to share that with them because we all need to think about it and make a choice. In order to do that, Tom, and those listening, I actually want to pull from the readings we heard from just this past Sunday at Mass. And the reason why I want to do that, not just because it fits with our topic, but because it's really what we're called to do. We are called to live those readings that we hear at church throughout the week. And so by bringing them here, this is my way of showing you that I keep these readings on my mind and I want to live them. Now, before I start the reading, I do want to hit start. So right there, those who are watching this can see me do it. I have a timer here. I'm about to hit start. So these episodes, I want to be half faith, half outdoors. So... That's I'm I'm shooting for an hour. I know that that's a lot for some people, but you can listen to it at different times. You could hit pause and come back to it later. But some people, they're driving in the car. They got a long commute to work. They want something to fill that time, and that's what this is all about. It's giving providing content for that. So I'm going to hit start there. I just did it. This is going to beep in 25 minutes, and that's going to be our warning. Like, hey, we got to start winding up this aspect of the episode. And then um, we're going to transition into the outdoor-related portion, and I'll hit start again so that we know when we get to that 25-minute mark, um, it's time to wrap it up. And, hey, if we decide or we feel like we've covered the topic before we even get to the beep, then fine. We'll just transition into the other. Okay, so let's start with a prayer, and then I'm going to read these scripture passages, and Tom and I are going to have a discussion on it and how it fits in. And I should say this, for those who are tuning in who are not Catholic, Tom and I are about to make the sign of the cross on our body. 
and we're going to pray in the name of the Father and of the Son, Jesus, and of the Holy Spirit. This is a practice that Catholics have done for centuries when we sign ourselves with the cross of Jesus Christ. And when we pray, we pray specifically to God. And we believe in a trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's a very deep topic that maybe would be good for another episode, but it would be too, too much for today. But anyhow, you don't have to be Catholic to make the sign of the cross. Obviously, it's a Catholic practice, but I've led RCIA, which is Rite of Christian Initiation of Adults for parishes. And, you know, there's people who are joining the Catholic Church who are like, when am I allowed to make the sign of the cross? And you know what, folks, you're allowed to do that right now. So if you are out there listening and you believe in God the Father, you believe in Jesus His Son, and you believe in the Holy Spirit, and you want to be sealed with the cross of Christ as you pray, you are invited to join us. So we are going to begin a prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son, Jesus, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Spirit, we turn to you because we know that we need you if we are to live righteously and holy. And that's what we want to do. We want to live for Jesus. We want to live for the Father. And we ask for you to guide us and help us in that. In a special way with this, pod with this podcast, I ask you to help Tom and I Communicate what you would have the listeners hear today. And I ask for your blessing on all the listeners that if you're touching them in a special way, in a certain way with this information, that they will feel drawn to act on it. And I pray all this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay. Thank you all for being patient with that long introduction. This is the first episode, so we got to have, we, hey, we got to have a long introduction. Now, I am relying on my parish bulletin that I took from church on Sunday uh, to help me navigate where these readings are. So that's another value of going to church is you get resources when you're walking out the door. So this reading struck me, and it's one of, it really is like, yeah, this is why I'm doing this podcast. So the first reading was from the prophet Ezekiel. I'm going to read that for you, and then I'm going to skip over to the gospel reading that we had. So here is Ezekiel. It's chapter 33, verses 7 through 9. You, son of man, I have appointed watchmen for the house of Israel. When you hear me saying anything, you shall warn them for me. If I tell the wicked man that he shall surely die... And you do not speak out to dissuade the wicked man from his way. He, the wicked man, shall die for his guilt, but I will hold you responsible for his death. But if you warn the wicked man, trying to turn him from his way, and he refuses to turn from his way, he shall die for his guilt, but you shall, you shall save yourself. So that's the reading from Ezekiel, and I thought, you know, that really does affirm the life of a Christian right there. Tom, I, I think you probably agree that as followers of Jesus, we are called to share what we believe God has shown us. And I think that reading spells it out right there. What Not only are we called to it, but we're held accountable if we don't. Um, do you feel like, and let's speak candidly here, do you feel like we as Catholics in general— <clears throat> are living that in our 
culture this, these days? Are your average Catholic out there, are they looking for a way to share their faith and inspire others or maybe even allow the Holy Spirit to convict somebody through the way they're living or sharing their faith? Do you think we're doing that in general? Oh, no, we could definitely do more for sure. Um, <clears throat> we, we, I mean, we have a need for, for that in a, in a lot of different ways. Um, uh, I mean, this, the kind of the studies have shown, right, that, uh, that is, is a lot less active participation in, in church, even just going to church. Mm. Um, but, no, there's definitely a need out there okay. to, to do more. Now, folks, the reason why Tom is here today <clears throat> especially is because he is the chair of our parish council. And so one of the things I want to hear from Tom is what is that like for him? And how did he get to that point? And why is he doing that? Before we get into those questions, though, I want to just flip over to our gospel. So um, that reading should convict anyone listening who is a follower of Jesus. We're called to share the love and passion that we have for our Lord. And if we're not doing that, then we're going to be a little bit responsible. It's not something to be afraid of. It's something as a motivation. Let us be motivated. Hey, I love God. God loves me. I want to do this because I want other people to have this amazing gift that I have. That's really what it's all about. And we got to remember when we're reading the prophets, they spoke in the context of their culture and their personalities. Sometimes it comes across as doom and gloom, but we also have to remember the filter of that. And what we really should take from that is kind of what I just uh, elaborated on is that this is an encouragement. Hey, we've got something wonderful here. We've got this amazing relationship with God. We want other people to have that. And so it's not like, oh, if I don't do this, I'm doomed. It's more like, you know what? I'm not going to have the joy God wants me to have if I'm not sharing the joy. So in a sense, we're already dying inside because we're not doing what we're actually made to do. So there's a positive spin that we can put on it and what God is trying to communicate to us. And so if there's anyone listening who doesn't feel like they have enough joy and happiness in their life, this could be it. It could be part what we're going to talk about here in joining a parish, a church, and it could be part not sharing that relationship with us. And hey, maybe people are out there saying, I don't even have a relationship with God. I don't, I don't have anything to share. Well, good. When, you, when you're part of a church, you have all these resources to help you grow in that. That's the direction we're going to. Let me just quickly read um, part of the gospel from Sunday, and then uh, we'll talk about it. I'm just trying to find, let's see, where is it? Okay. So here is, now, as I read this gospel, I want you to hear the component of the church in this. Now, this is God talking. God is talking to us, and he's going to mention the church and it should show to us the importance of a church and being part of a church. If you're not part of a church, you can't even live out this gospel. You cannot live what God has asked us to live if you're not part of a church. And if someone is not going to church right now and hears that and they're feeling uncomfortable, it's okay. It's because the Lord is calling you to change for something good. And we, in our fallenness, tend to resist change. We get uncomfortable when we're called to change. So if you're feeling uncomfortable, it's a good thing. And if you bring about that change, if you make a choice to make that change, you will find a greater level of happiness that you didn't know was there. And again, I can guarantee that. 
and I can speak to that. But let me read this. So this is from the, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, starting at verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won over your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, so that every fact may be established on the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as you would a Gentile or tax collector. Now that's the gospel of Jesus right there. And a Gentile or tax collector to the Jews was like an outcast. So basically he's saying, look, if a person isn't going to listen even to the church, we can treat them like an outcast. Woo! That's, that's, that's mind-blowing. Okay, so I want everyone, basically, I think we can, we can grasp what Jesus is saying. And it's about community. If somebody does something wrong to you, you got to address it. You can't just let it go. This is all about community and especially church community. So now, ultimately, you bring it to the church. If you're not part of a church, I want you to hear what it's like to be part of a church. And the, Tom and I are what, what are called lay people. We're just average guys, and we're living our life for Jesus. And so um, as a Catholic, I... You know, we moved to Iowa. I, I was working on the other side of the city, actually in a different town. And then um, as I shared in my – I actually, while I was waiting for you to get here today, Tom, I recorded an introduction to this whole thing, like so a little episode. And as I shared in that, which you should go listen to if you haven't already, um, I felt called to more evangelization than I was getting to do. So I felt like it was the right move to step out of that position. Since we're all the way on this side of town, we decided to join the parish on this side of town – when I got there, there was Tom as the chair of the parish council, and that's ultimately how I met Tom was at the parish council. Actually, at the time, you were the, the also the chair of the Faith Formation Commission. It's too long of a story how the Holy Spirit roped me into being part of the Faith Formation Commission as soon as I joined this parish. But there was Tom. That's how I met Tom. And um, your wife was prophetic in... I, I found out later my wife was in a conversation with your wife right after we joined the parish. Mm -hmm. And your wife said to my wife when she heard about my passion for evangelization, oh, Sean and Tom should do a podcast together. <laughs> well, here we are. So um, nice. she her, her word is coming to fruition. So here we are. Um, so anyway, I get there and I see you. You're the chair of the faith formation. You're the chair of the parish council. We got a new pastor who reorganized things. So thankfully for your sake, you only have to chair the uh, parish council now. Um, but first, I want to ask you, why are you making that investment of your time and energy to a church community? Like, obviously, you could be sitting home watching football or something. Instead, oh, yeah. you know, Thursday nights, isn't it, when we have our <laughs> meetings? Yep. Um, we could be watching Thursday night football. Instead, we're at these parish council-type meetings. Why are you doing that, Tom? Sure, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I was, you, you get on the par uh, parish council, uh, you know, the, usually the pastor asks you, see if you're uh, interested. Uh, the interesting thing about me first getting into it is he actually asked my wife first. Mm. <laughs> but with kids and everything, it just wasn't in her bandwidth at the time. So, you know, we talked about it, and I said, well, mention it to him about me jo joining instead. And then we have to get voted in uh, for, mm. from the parish community. So, 
So that's how I got on. Uh, but my interest in it goes probably back even further. Um, you know, I, I look at the world right now and, you know, there's, there's a lot of bad things going on. And so mm-hmm. then for me, it comes down to, okay, well, what am I going to do about it? Right. <clears throat> and so that's kind of the motivation. You know, I was, I'm, wasn't raised really much of a Christian. So there's been a, it was a long journey there, uh, to get here. Um, when, but, when did you first, like, what was your first introduction then to Christianity that, to, that moved you? Like what uh, happened? What was like the light bulb that was like, wow, I want to really pursue Jesus Christ. Like what, what was it? Was there, was there one thing or was it a series of things? It was a series of things for sure. Um, I was always, I always looked to the people that, particularly men that I wanted to be like. So the mm-hmm. ones I saw that seemed to have it together, mm-hmm. ones who like were a little more peace, uh, just kind of just together. You know, they weren't, they weren't overly angry. They were, but they were still men, uh, different realms. And so you know, throughout the course of many years, I was always aspiring to be some of them. And then I realized at one time that one of the things they each had in common was that they had a strong faith. And most of it was Christian. And it was a different denominations too. Yeah. Um, and then also my, my wife's family had a big influence. So um, uh, at the time they, they were a, a big family, they were close knit um, and they, they went to church regularly. So right. it was uh, that sort of thing. Um, there was a lot of debate with my wife and I over the years as far as which, which way we we're going to go. But uh, I couldn't ask her to change because she had that already had that strong faith. I didn't. Uh, and then, yeah, so then I got into, it went from there. I just, one day, the Holy Spirit just kind of moved me and drove by myself to the church. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then we just started that path. And mm-hmm. so, and there's a, it's a long, great journey that we kind of, we've had, but again, along the way, um, you know, one of the things that inspires me to do more work now is that I left, well, we moved from the East coast as well. Um, and, uh, and so one of the things I always felt, I don't know, was, hold that one thing we were giving up is that we weren't evangelizing there we weren't talking about it and their christianity was 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 not as prevalent uh it was kind of dying out and so that's kind of pulls on me a little bit and my wife that we need to do a little bit more so we want to make sure that where we're at now we're we're living the faith so we're, we're called to do more right we haven't really over the years though because we had young kids and so it took a while to kind of get to that point where we could find some of the time to do that mm. um because we don't want to take away from family because that's our primary vocation, right? right. As husbands and, and dads. Um, so just finding the thing that fits, you know, right. um, you know, so that's, that's, yeah, that's where it's at. That's where it's, uh, what's where I'm motivated, particularly in the world today. Like, uh, yeah. I bring it back to, well, what am I, what am I going to do about it? Right. And I can do it by, by serving and getting with the community, helping where I can. So Tom, <clears throat> were you, um, were you, when, at what point in time were you baptized? Uh, I was baptized. I was baptized pretty much after I was born. Like okay, so months. you yeah. were baptized. Your parents had you baptized. Yep. But you kind of grew up without any faith direction, in a sense. Sure. Or is well, yeah, they you? call it Christmas Easter churchgoers. Okay. Uh, maybe an occasional Sunday. Okay. And maybe not even Christmas Easter, but it was okay. the, it was it was there in the kind of the backdrop. Right. Okay. Yep. All right. Now, um, everyone's experience is different. Sure. Like now, when you look back at your childhood. Do you wish you had gone to church more often, or do you? I mean, is there? I mean, do you ever think about that? Where sure. does that fit into the journey for you now that you? You know, we're always looking back and wondering: Should I have done this differently? Sure. Could I have done that differently? What difference would that have made? What What's What's your thoughts on that part? Sure, absolutely, that's a great question. Uh, for me, 
just knowing my personality and who I was at the time, I could have greatly um, uh, utilized the, the tools of the church. Mm. There's so many things that can help you get through the hard times, even the good times, but really it's those hard times. Um, I could have used that for yeah. sure. And I think that you, you always, you never know with kids. I mean, sometimes you're like, no, it doesn't matter. You don't, no yeah. matter what, you're not listening, especially right. what your parents want you to do, right? right. Um, and so I can definitely see that. But yeah. I know for me that I, I wish that uh, I'd had more of that. Right. Um, and mostly because I, I could have had the tools to more fully bring about what God wants me right. to do. You know, one of the things that's kind of common in our world right now is, you know, the thought that, We'll let our kids grow up and decide, you know, what religion they want, what, you know, what direction they want to go with things. And you mentioned having tools to deal with things. Folks, there are things in life that can only be dealt with fruitfully through God. Okay. If you try to deal with it strictly from a human standpoint, it will not resolve the issue. It will not heal emotional brokenness. There's a whole gamut of things that could be listed there. So to those who are not going to church and not raising their children with any particular faith direction, I am just inviting you to, to spend a little time reflecting on that thought. Is there tools that would be available to my children if they had this component of faith in their life and maybe should I look as a parent, should I look to provide those tools? I personally believe there are and, and, and do now let me just, from my perspective, talk about the importance of joining a church. So Tom, you moved from Maine. I moved from Pennsylvania. Okay. I did not know anyone when I took this job in Iowa, when I, you know, for a Catholic church, so when I got to the church, they, you know, they, I did the interview. They hired me. My wife and I came out for a weekend. We looked at a couple of houses, put an offer on one. We went back to Pennsylvania. I brought a truck back months later by myself. I drove all the way, this moving truck, all the way across the country by myself. Do you think I had anybody to help me? I had like 50 people here unloading the moving truck because... I was part of a church community already. My friends who are listening, there is so much value and God calls us to being part of a church because God wants to bless us through his people. And that is part of it. We talked about the example of Thanksgiving dinner and not everyone being there. Tom, you kind of mentioned the way the world's going. We're Catholics and we go to church on Sunday. What do you think about right now when you look around the church on Sunday? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, for me, it's 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 being in the moment, where, you know, and and uh, embracing what we're hearing, and and uh, um, and just could, really comes down to us first, right, in our relationship with God. Mm. So that's you know that's hopefully has a ripple effect to my wife, my family, right. and, and the community. So I, I guess that's that's where my focus is. Okay. He's better than I am, folks. When I walk into the church, I look at how many seats are empty, and I think, what in the world do I need to do to fill these seats? Like, I'm not satisfied. If you are a churchgoer and you're sitting out there listening or watching, if you go into your church and this church isn't packed, 
join me. Don't be satisfied. Do something about it. And that's why this podcast is the first one. If you're not part of a church right now, I encourage you to make that your mission today. Say a prayer to the Lord Jesus and say, Lord, please guide me, and then start looking. Now, if you're a baptized Catholic, get to a Catholic church. We're going to be talking about this over the course of time in these episodes, the fullness of truth being in the Catholic church. You may have heard that statement before. All the sacraments are available to us, and what does that mean? In fact, I gave a copy of this to Tom already. This is my latest book, Become a Better Archer and Use It to Avoid Sinning. I actually cover all of foundational teachings of the Catholic faith in the religious. The, the second half of this book is a religious thing and shows how we can use concepts in archery to avoid sinning in life. So you, this would be a helpful publication to you if you're on the fringe, you don't know which direction to go, you, you're, you're not tight with God. But, um, but Tom and I... We're at Mass every Sunday, and nine people are missing at the Thanksgiving table, Tom. And so, and it all comes back to community. I'm holding up my church bulletin right now. This is this is the community. You, everyone, is called to be part of a community. In our world, we're filling that void, that community void, with other things, sports, other events. It's time to take a little step back and say, "Where's God in this?" Is God the first part in this? And if not, what do I need to do? Because guess what? We're all going to die. It could be today. Have we prepared for that? Have we lived our lives in a way that is ready for that? And I'm Tom, I'm sorry I'm rambling so much. Um, so getting back to your journey to, to coming to okay. Iowa, what was it like for you when you got here and you were looking for a parish to join? Um, what was that process like? Uh, sure. We, we had, uh, we checked out a few churches, but, uh, ultimately what it came down to is our kid's school was near the one that we were at and we just have it all in one place. Um, you know, kids can recognize our pastor at school when they, when they visit, um, and, uh, just kind of all be in one place. So, uh, that's really what got us started. I mean, we live in a community here where we have multiple and so we're, we kind of have our hands a little bit in other, other, uh, other parishes, but, um, uh, but for sure, it, that's how we led to it. Um, right. yep. And so, um, you know, you, it's making me think of when Jesus said, go and baptize all nations in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and, you know, teaching them to be my disciple. It's the end of the gospel of Matthew. And that starts with our children, yeah. you know, and what you're saying is what, what he was saying in the background of all that decision was how can we nurture our children's faith journey in the best way possible? And it's funny because we made the exact same decision. We could have joined where, where, where we're located. There's three parishes equidistant from us. And the reason we chose the one we did is because there's also elementary and middle school on that campus. Mm-hmm. And we, like you, wanted our children to have – a solid foundation of association with their faith journey. Like when they think of their Catholic faith and their upbringing, they're going to picture everything at this location. And we just thought that was, that would help them with, with a stability in that. And cause there's a lot to fight against out there. I mean, the kids are, they got all kinds of stuff 
even that we didn't have to deal with. So sure. um, the more we can provide a solid foundation for that, I think the better. So um, now and let, let's talk about, so you have six children, five, five children, five, yeah. sorry. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Five children. And um, you know, what would you say? It, like, well, I should say this, actually, I went to the school mass. Oh, there's my little arm. Um, so we got a few minutes left on this topic. So I went to the, once a week, our, the school has a school mass. Mm-hmm. And your daughter was the reader today um, at the school mass, and she did a very good job. She, like, there was someone else who read, like, an announcement and uh, what the number was for the first song, and I couldn't hear the individual. I was struggling. I'm like, what was the song, you know? Uh-huh. Um, but when your daughter got up to read, she was loud and clear, and um, the the apple does not fall far from the, from the tree. They say, <laughs> um, but so what? What I'm the reason I'm saying that is you're putting your children in a parish environment that helps them grow up in their faith. Your daughter is like about twelve or something, or I don't know how old she is. Um, I gotta use that. Yeah. Um, it was so I I don't want to say the name, <laughs> again, but um, yeah. it was the older one. Sure. Yeah, it's yeah. just uh, thirteen. Okay, thirteen. I was close. So here she is, a thirteen-year-old reading in front of, I don't know how many kids are in the school and everything, but there's a, let's just say a couple hundred. I don't, I don't, I don't know, but uh, yeah. or at least over a hundred. But she's reading the Word of God in front of all these people, mm-hmm. loud and clear, and it's part of her life. It's a natural part of her life because of the environment you put her into. And so thank you for that. But it's an, it's a witness to the job you're doing as a parent in trying to raise your child in the faith. Um, so anyhow, um, that was at the school mass today. And I, yeah. so I wanted to mention that to you. I know you couldn't get there. At least I didn't see you. Yeah, you know, it's couldn't, you know. Your schedule didn't per- <clears throat> permit it. Um, but I think on that with the, the community though, they have great support in the faith at their school. Cause it's a, uh, it's not a public school. So, the religious teacher has helped to foster that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's that kind of that team environment to help raise, yeah. raise our future generations. So, yeah. And she was also singing too. <laughs> she wasn't just the reader. She was in the, yeah, like yeah. the school choir there. So, yep, nice. um, so, okay, we're going to, we're going to transition into the outdoor related topic here in just a moment. But um, first of all, I want to thank you for having the courage to, uh, to do this with me today and sure. as, as a, as a launch. Um, and, Again, those who are listening, the, my strong encouragement is for you to think about community and parish community or church community. If you are someone who hasn't been going to church, please, it's time to think about it again. You know, there is a value there, and it's not just for you. It's not just about you. Everyone that's there actually needs you. Okay? We need you. The people of your parish need you, okay? God created us to need each other. Jesus did not even rely only on himself. He chose these 12 men to completely depend upon once he ascended into heaven. He relied 100% on them to start the church through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is God's way. He doesn't even do it all on his own. He involves us because... We need each other, and your parish community needs you just as you need them as part of your faith journey. So I want to thank everyone for uh, listening to that portion of the faith-related portion of this first podcast. I'm going to hit the start button.
Now we're going to talk about the outdoors. I don't even know if we're going to take a half hour. I have absolutely no idea how this is going to go. Sure. But um, so let me give people a little background um, about you, Tom. Uh, actually, and I'll invite you to give us a little background. So I do know that you've hunted, and I do know that you're from the East Coast. Take us through your journey in the outdoors. Where did hunting start? What kind of hunting did you do? What kind of hunting are you doing now? What kind of hunting are you hoping to get into? Okay. Uh, so I always wanted to hunt, particularly as a kid, I grew up in the woods. Um, so I did a lot of hiking and just, that's where I, that's where my playground was, was in the woods. Uh, and I wanted to hunt, but, uh, my mom was definitely, she was definitely opposed to it. Mm-hmm. I almost had her convinced that maybe, you know, I, uh, I, maybe with a bow I could do it. Um, I don't, maybe she just didn't like the idea of guns. I'm not sure. But, uh, uh, so I never got into hunting, um, uh, as much as I kind of would have loved to be out there and do that. Uh, and then life took me in a bunch of different directions. Um, and then one day I had this uh, friend who I haven't spoken to in years. Uh, he just said, you know, he bought me a shotgun. Wow. Like a, just a simple break action uh, for bird hunting. He's like, you got to go bird hunting with me. Out of the blue. I don't even know if we had a conversation about mm-hmm. it or not. He just said, here you go. Um, Can I just interject on that? Sure. Like, you know, folks, sometimes the Holy Spirit's at work in our lives. Sure. You know what I mean? And, and I, I'm not going to say that that was the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. However, sometimes events happen completely unexpected. Blessings happen that, that send you in a, in a direction in life. And so I just want people to think about that because I do believe God works even through the outdoors. Sure. And so I want everyone mm-hmm. to think about that. Sorry to interrupt. No, I want you fine. to keep going, but I did want to interject that thought for people yeah. so they can reflect in their own journey. Hey, is it possible the Holy Spirit's been involved in any way here? So continue, sure. please. Oh, sure, absolutely. Um, so I, he taught me a little bit about bird hunting. Uh, in Maine, it was partridge hunting. So it was, uh, I did a little bit of that, tried to do a little bit on my own. but uh, um, And then later on, I moved into a little bit of deer hunting. Uh, really had no idea what I was doing. So kind of just, you know, trying to figure it out on my own, uh, just going out here and there. That's tough, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I realized I'm making way too much noise, mm. uh, probably irritated a few hunters that I mm. came upon. So, um, And then, uh, yeah, I had another friend, another one who uh, was a person I looked up to as far as just having it together. You know, he was he was a Christian. Um, you know, same idea there, but he, uh, he, he, he took me duck hunting. And mm. so that's when I got my, my first kill, I guess. There you go. Uh, was quack, one, quack. one duck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, was it, uh, was it greasy? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah Cause yeah. you know, I don't, I think I've had duck once or twice and I've just always heard that it's greasy. I don't actually even remember, but I yeah. just, remember people have said, Oh, duck's greasy. I'm just yeah. curious. Just curious. Sorry. I didn't, I didn't have much of it. Cause again, I didn't know what I was doing, right. but, uh, I, uh, I definitely cooked some of it up. And, yeah. Uh, uh, but, uh, so yeah, that was a great experience. That was something new. That was that was more active because it's you know it's a bunch of people shooting all at the same time. Right. So it's a bit of a war zone. But uh, <laughs> I've never done... I've never actually bird hunted like duck or goose. Yeah. So yeah, so I can really I can understand, but I haven't done it. Yeah. So anyway, it's just a lot of fun. Um, and the John, like I said, gentleman I took me with was I was grateful to him. He had all the gear and everything like that. So, um, so didn't do. Uh, wasn't too involved in deer hunting out there. And then I moved out to uh, Iowa um, and they have a lot of public land out here. And mm. so just trying to figure that out and really just going out, um, came across a lot of deer, uh, mm. took a shot at one. That's about it. So okay. I haven't really put the time in. Okay. Um, and most of the time I would just do the, one of the shotgun seasons. It's only a week long. So mm-hmm. we're going to have like really one weekend. And so, yeah. um, 
really just enjoy being outdoors, but would like right. to step it up a little bit. So Okay. All right. So, yeah, so, folks, I didn't even know all of that, so it was good for me to hear so that I know I'm the coach. I'm the coach. <laughs> I'm going to coach. Um, no, so over the last few years, I've done a lot of bow giveaways on my channel. So this year I actually have been trying to find people local to give them to so that I could – help out in some way. Sure, and yeah. Tom was actually one of those people that I got one of those dragon X eights for and, um, got him set up. Actually, when we're done recording here, we're going to go do some tuning on that thing to get him a little bit more ready to do some more shooting. So it's, it's sitting a few feet away behind me on the other side of this room here. Um, so anyway, Tom, uh, you know, being that you're coming from, um, some bird hunting, not a lot of experience in deer hunting, I, I told Tom before this episode, like, hey, this this um, outdoor-related thing, if you have any questions, you know, for me, um, that, that would be a good time for it. And you did mention a few, but I'll let you kind of throw them out sure. loud so that uh, people can hear them. And then the value of this is that there's a lot of other people who probably have the same questions. And right. so, um, so that's why I like this format. Okay. So I'd like to hear what are some th- – some things that you're wondering as you approach the next hunting season. Yeah, well, particularly with bow hunting, um, you know, I'm pretty ignorant to this the, the setup. I know most do it from a stand, but can you do it yeah. from just walking around? Okay, uh, is that is that is that smart? Is it you know? All right, so um, there are people who only walk around with a bow and hunt, and there there's just people who just hunt from the ground. And there's people who only hunt from a tree stand. Let me just tell some of the pros and cons and some of the challenges of each, okay? Sure. Probably the most effective way to to bow hunt deer is from a tree stand, and that's why the majority of people do it. Um, One is because people want to try to get their scent up above the nose of the deer. A lot of times it doesn't actually help because the way the wind swirls and drafts and different things, they still wind you. However, there's another advantage in that your visibility increases dramatically when you're off the ground. Like when you're up in a tree, it's amazing how much more you can see than when you're on the ground. So there's advantages right there. There's disadvantages. There's if you're hunting public land, you might be carrying your equipment in and out every time, and that's a lot of weight. Sure. And that's how I lost a few pounds when I was out in Colorado. <laughs> I was carrying a bunch of stuff on my back up and down those mountains. Um, so that, that, that can be a drawback. And then another drawback is the danger of falling. You know, that's why we do everything we can to wear safety harness systems and and all that. So that's, that's a little snap shot of tree stand hunting. Now, when you're walking around, you can actually get deer. And I, in fact, I, the second deer I ever harvested, (laughs) I was, Tired of being cold. I, it was opening day. I was hunting from the ground, and um, I underdressed. And I was shivering and shivering for probably a couple hours, and I got to the point where, like, that's enough. I'm done shivering. I'm walking out to the car to warm up. And I walked through a patch of cedars. So there's no leaves on the ground right there, cedar trees. Um, so I was really quiet just walking through. And when I got out of the patch of cedars, I started walking up a deer trail toward the car, and I just looked behind me and out stepped a doe. She must have been upwind of me and never heard me. And so I was only about 12 yards away from her when she stepped out. So I froze. I 
kept my feet in place and I did a 180 with my upper body and I pulled back mm -hmm. and I eventually took a shot and I got her. Um, my point though is I was just walking around. Sure. The key, if you ever want to be successful walking around is being able to do it quietly, which is really hard in the fall because the leaves can get crunchy. Mm -hmm. And also you need to try to stay downwind of the deer so they don't smell you. So if you want to do that and develop that skill, you can. You just need to, you need to work on ways to walk quietly, okay? And that's not easy to do, but it can be done. Um, the Native Americans, I don't know if anyone's ever heard of the book The Tracker by Tom Brown Jr. My dad gave me that book when I was a kid. It's actually on the bookshelf right over there right near us. Um, but it's the story of this kid who grew up in New Jersey and was essentially trained by a Native American in the, in the old ways of survival and tracking. And he taught him the fox walk. So the fox walk is, um, for those who are viewing, I'm holding up my hand right now pretending it's a foot. But for those who are listening, I'm going to describe it. So the fox walk is instead of putting your heel down first, like we normally do when we're walking in our common normal culture, high-speed culture that we live in, um, we normally put the heel down and then our weight transfers forward and then it goes across up to the toes and then our, the heel of our other foot's hitting the ground. So the fox walk is you put the, the outside edge of your foot by your pinky toe down first. And then you roll your foot down so that you can feel under your foot. You're actually feeling, in a sense, you're looking at the ground through the feeling of your foot. You're not looking at it with your eyes. You're rolling, you're slowly rolling your foot down to feel, is there any sticks there? And if there is, I need to reposition my foot before I put my weight on it so I don't snap a stick. And then you bring the rest of your foot down gently feeling the ground. And then you bring your next foot up and you do that and you, you do it slowly. You can't do it quickly. So you're moving through the woods slowly, but also quietly. Now, because you're looking at the ground with the bottoms of your feet, you're able to survey with your eyes and look around. Another thing that's helpful, and I'll just, I, I mentioned this in some of my books. Actually, I have another book that I'm going to give you today, Tom. Since I already gave you the archery book, yeah. I'm going to give you my book, um, How to Hunt Deer with Proven Success, a comprehensive guide to help bow hunters harvest bigger buck and more deer. As you can see, both of these books are beasts of information, and it's actually intended to be a two-volume set. Sure, okay. So you have this piece. Now you're going to yep. have the other. And I talk about it in here. I'm going to give that to you. you this this has, That has a lot in there. So anyhow, one of the things that Tom Brown Jr. talked about in the book, The Tracker, is oh, what he called wide-angle vision. So right now, I'm looking at you, Tom. You're looking at me. We're kind of focused on each other. Sure. But if you stop focusing on me and you intentionally see everything around me yep. with your peripheral vision, you're not even – you see me, but you're taking in everything. Right. That's what the Native Americans would do when they would be sitting in the woods is they practice wide-angle vision. And the neat thing about wide-angle vision is you can see little movements somewhere in that whole field of view right. when you're when you're taking all that in. When you're focused on one little thing, like if you're looking right at my eyes, yeah. you're not noticing things all around me as easily. Right, right. So when you're slowly walking through the woods, try to practice wide-angle vision because you're going slowly enough that you can catch flickers of movement. Like you might catch a squirrel hopping from one tree to another in the corner of your vision way over here. If you were just focused straight on the trail in front of you, you would totally miss that. Yeah. Okay, so now as a hunter, you're walking through the woods practicing wide-angle vision. You might see a deer tail flicker over here, and you can 
that there's plenty of times where I've walked up on deer who haven't noticed me being there yet. You know, and it's usually in the summertime when the leaves aren't on the ground and everything's quiet, especially right after a rain, everything's super quiet or it's even dripping from the trees. Those are your best times to practice that kind of hunting. You know what I mean? Like it just rained. It's early fall. The ground's real wet. There's little droplets coming from the tree, which creates a little bit of noise. That's the time to get out there and walk slowly with your bow. And um, if you, you know, I carry a range finder with me because... I shoot with a compound bow primarily, and so there's a sight system. And in order to aim with the correct pin, you need to know the exact distance. You can guess and you can practice and develop the skill of getting that good, but I find it's just easier to pull that thing up, click it. Okay, that's 23 yards. I know how to aim, make a good shot. So, um, so anyway, that's a little bit on still hunting is what that's called. Okay. Okay. Um, now – even, though, even if when you're walking? Yeah. It's okay. So still hunting means you're you're moving slowly and stilly. <laughs> <You know. laughs> okay. um, so, um, yes. So that's what they call that. Now, ground hunting would be setting up in a location and hunting from the ground. Most of the people who are doing that are either bringing a pop-up ground blind, um, which um, you may have seen those. They're, they're a pretty neat tool. Or some form of ground blind. When I was growing up, in bow hunting, uh, they didn't. They, that wasn't even invented yet. So every time I would hunt, my first couple years of hunting, I did mostly on the ground, and um, I took um, little branches from all around and I would stake them in the ground around me, and I would just make like a little fortress around me, you know, about waist high of of little branches, and then I would kneel on the ground behind them just mm-hmm. to block my human silhouette and. Um, and, oh, man, I, I had this one hunt that's just vividly come into my mind where I did that. I uh, was a student at Penn State. I started off at one of the branch campuses, and I was hunting. I wrote about this in, that, in my book. I don't actually have a copy sitting out. So my first book, Becoming a World-Class Hunter, a Bow Hunter, Spiritual Journey, I talked about it in there. Um, the woods behind the campus – there was no like posted signs or anything. And, um, you know, one of the other students had shot a deer back there. And so I'm like, Oh, okay, well maybe I'll try that, you know? So I went in there and I set up a little ground blind and, um, I'm sitting there and this giant, I mean, a giant buck came out and, um, he was on the other side of a fence from me and I thought he was going to, I had some dome heat sent out. It was, you know, the early days I put the deer sent out. I don't really do that anymore, but I thought he'd smell that and jump the fence and I'd get him, you know? So I drew my bow back. And here's, a, here's an important thing for anybody listening who doesn't know this. Deer, when they come up to an obstacle like that or even a dip in the ground or anything they might have to jump over or go down in, they're going to stop and survey before they do that. They're going to survey for, damage, for danger because when – let's picture a deer jumping a fence. When that deer is in the air, it's vulnerable. It can't change its course of direction. It can't do anything at that point. So they spend a good amount of time looking around before they commit to that. I didn't know that. He walked up to that fence. I drew back. And I was pulling 80-pound pull at the time, which was a lot. And it was more than I should have been probably. And after holding that for about a minute, my uh, everything was just shaking. And I couldn't hold it anymore. And I eased down. And he caught movement in the corner of his vision. And he took off. Um, and then a few minutes later, I hear, Will the hunter in the woods please come out? I was like, whoa. <laughs> so um, I grab my stuff and I walk out and there's like all these police cars there. And um, 
I'm like, I had no idea. There was no posted signs. And I didn't mention the other kid who had been hunting in there. I wasn't going to, you know, get into that. But they're like, yeah, the, this should be posted, but it's actually part of the borough. And the borough doesn't allow any bow hunting in the borough. Gotcha. So um, that's why it wasn't out. So I was like, okay, thanks. So, um, but anyhow, getting back to, the, I in that situation, it came to me because of the ground blind I made. I made the, I just... I actually grabbed weeds like um, goldenrod has a really is a really firm weed that is almost like woody. Mm -hmm. And so I was snapping off goldenrod from a distance and staking it in the ground. I made a little wall all around me of goldenrod and I had my back up against a tree. So it was a pretty good little ground blind that I whipped together in just a couple of minutes. So um, so when you're hunting from the ground, you don't have to do that. You don't even have to have a pop-up ground blind. What you need to do, though, is come up with a way to conceal yourself so that you don't get picked out easily. Because there's times that I've been hunting, and I was sitting on the ground. I didn't have a ground blind, and I, I would move a little bit. Like, I would be up on my knees, and my, you know, my ankles would start to hurt, so I'd you know, sit back. And I've had this happen, and a deer would snort from behind me and take off running. So they could come from any angle. So sure. what I like to do is um, I like to put, like, a, if I can find a good-sized tree between me and where I at least hope the deer are going to be, um, then I have, like, a, a, a shield in a sense. And I can um, take the bow off. I, like, I have a portable bow hanger. It's just a rope, so I don't, like, screw anything into the trees because there's a lot of states that are real particular about how you, you know, do stuff to the trees. You can't damage a tree. So, um, so anyhow, I like to tie this little rope around, hang my bow. And then what I do is I clear the ground out all around the tree so that if I have to use the tree as a shield and like move to the right so that I stay behind it. So the deer can't see me. Mm -hmm. I can do that without stepping on a bunch of branches over there. So I pivot behind the tree and then I basically keep my eye on the back end of the deer and I, it's head is blocked by between me and the tree. And so I kind of like pivot around the tree and then I like to look for trees out in the area where the deer are moving. And I draw my bow when their head goes behind a tree because that tree is going to block this movement here. So, so what I'm basically saying is when you're hunting on the ground, whether you're moving or in a location, trying to conceal your movement, especially at the critical moment of drawing the bow is, is very important. Mm -hmm. If the deer's in a field, if you're hunting on a field edge, it's going to be really hard to do that, especially if it's like a ro- low-growing shrub-type thing. You sure. know, its eyes can see over it, and it, like if its head's buried buried down in like soybeans, well, that's different. Sure. You, but but um, otherwise, if you're sitting on the edge of a field and you just draw your bow back, it's going to potentially catch that movement in its peripheral vision. Plus, a deer's eyes are kind of more on the side of their head rather than in the front. So they can kind of see a larger perimeter around them than we can. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, having something to help break up your silhouette and block you is something to look for when you're trying to do a setup. So um, now as far as the question that you asked, um, are you going to primarily try hunting from the ground with a bow or still hunting, like slowly walking around? Like what are you thinking about? as you approach this whole topic of bow hunting? Uh, I'll probably ask you. I mean, really? I, uh, <laughs> I hadn't really thought about it. I mean, right yeah. now I'm just focused on getting, you know, more proficient with the, right. with the bow for sure. Um, 
I think I probably like the idea of a stand better. Yeah. Um, although I'm a little impatient as a hunter. Like I, mm-hmm. I do like moving, I, uh, but uh, it just seems to make a lot of sense to do it from the stand. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, there are times of the year where I actually put a game plan together in my hunt where I hunt from a stand for a couple hours and then I get down and move. Mm-hmm. And I hunt for a couple hours, I get down and move. Something like that you could potentially incorporate in your hunting strategy. Um, there are times, like especially in the really cold months of the year, I just got to get up and move. I just get too cold. So that's one of the reasons I move. Um, but it can be very effective, especially during the rut. Excuse me. Um, the deer can move all day long. So if you get down and move, there's still a chance they're going to be moving by no matter, even still. So if you get tired of sitting in one location, so even if you stand hunt, you can incorporate things that are going to play to your strengths. Like, Hey, I just, I can't sit more than let's say two hours or whatever. You know, I can get, let's say I have four hours to hunt. Well, I can hunt two stand locations. I can do one, the first light move closer to the car for the second half. And then I'm less, that's something I do when I'm, hunting public land and I'm going to stay all day, let's say mm-hmm. I go way in the back in the morning and then I kind of work my way back out. Like I might do a midday hunt yeah, halfway yeah, yeah. and then in the evening I'll come even closer and I'll just sit the best spots that I've been able to find in those areas. Okay. And so, um, so those are some things. Um, obviously if you get into tree stand hunting, there's a lot more investment involved. You got to buy equipment. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's always going to be part of the, the thing so now for as we forecast for this hunting season what are you thinking about like what are you going to be are you going to try to do the bow hunting this year are you just going to keep working on archery this year and do it next year or or where are where are your thoughts with that absolutely if i can get my you know steady routine of practicing then you know i might uh want to try some bow hunting but probably um it may not be till next year i don't know um i'd like to get out there at least uh you know, get my shotgun out at least to just get out there and, yeah. um, you know, maybe check out some sites for, uh, for bow hunting that might be better for bow hunting. So, yeah. um, you know, kind of take it as a, a here we, we go along, but I, I definitely want to ramp up my, yeah. my skills as my primary focus. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Well, today we're going to get the bow tuned up and, um, you got to get yourself on a regiment. And fortunately yeah. for you, you have some, you have some of your children that are interested in archery, yeah, yeah. so you could I'm always two, drag yeah. them along and, yep. um, and let them do some shooting while you're shooting. And, um, yeah, but now's the time. I mean, so, you know what? I should uh, – we're, we're probably getting low on time, we, which we are. Um, but I, w- I will say this, and I'm just going to turn the timer off so it doesn't beep us in a few minutes. But I want to say this. I probably should just do a dedicated video for it on my channel. But, you know, it's that time of year where everyone's getting their equipment back out. They, a lot of people haven't used it since last year. And I even got an email uh, yesterday asking me about this. Like, sh- is it safe to just start shooting my bow? Like, it's been sitting since last year. Oh, yeah. What should I look at? And um, what I would recommend to anybody who bow hunts is measure the axle to axle. I'm talking about compound bows here. Measure the axle to the axle length of your bow at the start of every year when you get it out. Now, every manufacturer has an axle-to-axle length posted for the specifications of the bow. If the axle-to-axle length is longer, significantly longer than what they post, I mean, within an eighth of an inch is considered acceptable. 
But if it's like an inch longer, what that means is your string and cables have stretched. Now, does that mean you need to replace your string and cables? No, it does not. You um, need to look at the string and cables themselves. You should wax them at least every other week or so. I like to wax mine about at, at least every other week, okay? Because um, bow strings and cables are made of strands. There could be about 24, 20 to 24 strands in that string or cable. Now, those strands, the material they're made with, can begin to fray over time. Mm -hmm. And the way to protect them from that happening is waxing them. And, it, and you mainly need to wax the bow string. Some manufacturers don't even want you to wax the cables. Some do. You have to just read your owner's manual of the book of the bow for the bow you have. So anyhow, measure the axle to axle. Look at the string and cables. If they're not fraying real badly, they might be okay. So what is needed? You actually have to put the bow in a bow press and then twist, add twist into the string and or cables to shorten them to get them back to the bow manufacturer's specifications. And they typically have it listed on the bottom limb of the bow what the string and cable lengths should be. So if it should be, let's say, 64 inches for the bow string and it's measuring 65 inches, so it's stretched an inch, you'll want to add twist to it until it measures 64 again. And the way I do it is I have a nail in the unfinished area of my basement up in the rafter there or in the ceiling joist. I, I, have a, I nailed a nail in there. I hang one end of the string on that, and I put a screwdriver through the other, and I pull on it as hard as I can so that it's stretched and straight. And I hook a tape measure on it, and I measure down to the, to the outside edge of the screwdriver. So the way that a lot of manufacturers do this measurement is from the inside edge of the loop. Mm -hmm. So where that nail is, it's, it's attached to, at the inside edge of the loop. So by hooking my tape measure on it, I'm basically going from the inside edge of the loop, pulling it down, and my screwdriver is against the inside edge of the loop going around it this way. So when I measure to the outside edge of my screwdriver, I'm getting that measurement from the inside edge of the loop from one end to the other, and that's giving me the measurement. So if I'm an inch short, I'm going to add twist until it's 64 in this example, 64 inches, and I put it back on the bow. So now your bow is going to be, your axle to axle length is going to be in specification. The reason why this has a factor is because everything works in synchronization. Like the cams are in synchronization. And so if one thing stretches more than another, things can go out of synchronization. So you're going to not have your arrow flight going well. So that would be my recommendation to people who are wondering that. Just look over the strings and cables really well and then measure the axle to axle length. And what I would suggest doing at the end of the season is measure where it's at before you put it away. Mm -hmm. If everything is in tune before you put it away until next year, just measure where it's at and see. It may have even stretched during the season, which it probably could have if you're shooting and banging around in the woods. So it may even need to be actually fine-tuned at that point in time. I will say that I typically have to retune my bow at least twice a season just from all the shooting and banging in the woods, things stretch. Mm -hmm. And it could just be one one cable stretched and the other didn't, so I need to put a little twist in one of them. It's just a fine – I'm a little bit particular when it comes to my archery. And so I want everything operating optimally. And, you know, if one thing is just very slightly out of place for me – 
I'm intolerant of it. I got to fix it right now. I want it. I want it as precise as possible. Um, and so, yeah, I usually am doing a little tweak in here and there, even throughout the hunting season. So I would encourage anyone who's listening, you know, get your equipment going at the beginning of the hunting season, but then also, um, give it a little look during the season, make sure everything's still in tune, make sure your, your draw stops are hitting in time and all that kind of stuff. So anyhow, Tom, I just am so grateful to you for being a part of this podcast. And uh, I'm sorry if I talk too much. Um, I hope that hope it was uh, it was a decent episode for all of you. This is my first official one doing this. So who knows? I have no idea if it was any good or not. But hopefully those who were out there listening uh, benefited in some way. And, you know, that's really what this is all about. And it's about trying to respond to the gospel. It's about... You and I trying to support our parish community and living that example and then also encouraging others to do that, those who are out there in cyberland listening or watching. Um, so, yeah. Tom, you. do you have any final words for those who are listening, tuning in, or watching? Oh, goodness. Um, you know, on, the, on the faith side of things, I would just say that you know, it just, uh, you know, if you open the door, um, head to church, uh, doesn't mean you have to do everything that, uh, that you have a skill and something that you can help with, uh, and walking in doesn't mean you have to say yes to everything to help out. But, um, uh, it is a place to, to find joy and use those tools. Um, and, uh, uh, with archery, I keep listening to Sean. I, I, <laughs> uh, I mean, everything you keep saying more and more things that are just fascinating. It's just depth of knowledge there. So I, um, I look forward to seeing what more I can learn from you here. So okay. uh, good stuff. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for being on. And um, that was such an incredibly awesome point you just made. So thank you. Those of you who aren't going to church or, or on the fringe, maybe barely going, just get connected, you know, don't bounce around, connect somewhere view those people as part of your family and just, you know, spend a little time there. doesn't mean like Tom said, you don't have to be like Tom and be the chair of all these councils. And I mean, um, he, he wasn't, he didn't start there. He worked his way up to that and saw the value in wanting to participate in that way, but just start small wherever you're at and um, God, let God guide you, you know? So I want to say God bless you to everyone out there, and I want to worship God uh, with my life, and I hope that that will compel and inspire a few others to want to do the same who maybe aren't already. So thanks for tuning in. Until next time, take care, and God bless you.